It's after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos, getting ready for Shabbos and the holiday of Shavuos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Slave, 
a.m. <laughs> kosher police fighting for truth, justice, and the kosher way. There may be some people saying that tomorrow night. Every little thing we eat is milchik. It's possible. <laughs> milchik meaning dairy food, and the holiday of Shavuos is upon us, of course, and we know that the the dairy food tradition is a very, very um, important and ingrained one in the Jewish people. And everybody out there, uh, enjoy your favorite dairy dishes, whatever they may be. And, of course, all your regular Yom Tov dishes as well. Why not? That was Schlockrock from Schlockapella. Maishi Menlowitz, brand new with Horaini. Oh, I said Horaini. That's not really true. That was the... Um, that was the... The Pathways, right? That was the Pathways medley off of his brand new CD. We're going to be, uh, we're actually going to be using the opportunity because of the release of the brand new Nostalgia album by, um, the Nostalgia album by Moshe Menlo. We're going to use the opportunity Uh, to have a nostalgia day here at JM in the AM. So many people for I don't know how many years <laughs> have been asking us for a day where we concentrate on the oldies. So we've chosen June 1st with this album being the centerpiece. And Shia Menlowitz, of course, who's one of the greatest experts when it comes to uh, oldies selections, is going to join me. We'll spend some time together that morning here at JM in the AM. Shlomo Kalbach with Zehayom from the Hallel Service. Sherwood Goffin Karkeli from Yuntif. Atav Echartanu and Pischuli from the Hallel, uh, that's been Sion Schenker. Shalom Aleichem and Erev Shabbat by Yoel Sharabi on this Erev Shabbos. And Regesh Modani opening things up as we say good morning. It's Friday on this May 22nd, day four in the month of Sivan, the year 5775, Tafshinai and Hay. Day 48 in the counting of the Omer. Can you believe it? Day 48. Six weeks, six days. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Bamidbar. Candle lighting at 7.53. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Holiday of Shavuos is tomorrow night and Sunday, of course, outside of Israel. Places like here, it's Monday as well on Memorial Day. Who pointed out that, uh, oh, yes, I got to read this post. I think it's so appropriate. I'll get to it in a second. Anyway, Monday we'll read Megillas Rus, the uh, book of Ruth, and also Monday will be Yisker. Keep that in mind. As well, uh, JM in the AM with uh, 57 degrees, 67% humidity, Windsor West, four miles per hour. Um, mostly sunny today. In fact, in general, looks like the weather for this, uh, for this young is going to be pretty good. 57, 67% humidity, winds West at four. Today, mostly sunny, a high temperature 75. Tonight, partly cloudy, low of 48, and tomorrow, sunshine, high Shabbos, 70 degrees. We're at 70 in um, in Yerushalayim, 57 here in Jersey City as we say good morning on this Erev Shabbos slash Erev Yom Tov at JM in the AM. Rabbi Eliyahu Fink, who was my guest in the live lunch last week, and speaking of live lunch, big thank you to Miriam Al-Wallach and whoever else was in my studio yesterday in New York who took over during the pre-Shavuos live lunch. I was scheduled to do it, but... Things did not work out, and I thank Miriam Al-Wallach, and I thank everybody else who sat in during the live lunch yesterday. Now, I don't know if there was anybody else, but I'm just assuming that uh, people like Avrami and maybe even some others uh, may have had a role in the show. Anyway, thank you, and it was a great day yesterday for us on the stream. 
Um, and I appreciate all the listenership from around the world. Uh, Rabbi Eliyahu Fink, who was my guest last week on the live lunch, he writes, Resolution concerning Memorial Day occurring this year on the traditional Shavuos Yisker Day. Whereas from the death of Francis Salvador on July 31, 1776 in South Carolina, until the death in combat of Joshua Silverman December the 17th of 2013 in Afghanistan, many thousands of Jews have sacrificed their lives in defense of the United States. And whereas the U.S. Memorial Day this year falls on the traditional Shavuot Yisker Day, May 25th, obviously Yisker outside of Israel, second day Yantif. The JWB Jewish Chaplains Council, representing the CCAR, the RA, and the RCA by unanimous consent, hereby resolves that Shavuos Yisker observances include the memorialization of those who fell in our defense and defense of our freedoms, and hereby request that all U.S. rabbis and congregations invite Jewish veterans of America's wars to participate in Shavuot Yisker services that will memorialize those who have made the supreme sacrifice while serving in the armed forces of the United States. And I thought that was a beautiful thought. I wanted to make sure to... um, I want to make sure to um, mention it on the air as we get ready for the holiday of Shavuos, and we'll have Yisker on Monday, in fact, on Memorial Day, interestingly enough. And I thank Rabbi Fink for uh, pointing that out. Plenty more coming up. We are on an Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Tov, and uh, guess what? Malcolm Holmline is going to join us an hour from now for the weekly update. Plenty more. If you keep it here at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County, 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world in the web, jam in the am.org.
combination of Simcha Liner and uh, Baruch Levine on that brand new CD that was just recently released. Uh, hang on, I'll give you the official name in a second. I <laughs> can't remember anything anymore. Uh, Baruch Levine, there it is, Modim from the Project Relax Volume Number 2 CD. <laughs> Two minutes before 7 o'clock. Eighth day before that with that great single, Celebrate. You heard Miami with Tzur Yisrael. Here at JM and the AM, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Bamidbar. A big three days coming up, Parshas Bamidbar, and then uh, two days of Shavuos over this Memorial Day weekend. Um, amazing programming on our stream all day long, and that includes an incredible Erev Shabbos music mix that will go from 10 a.m. until candle lighting time. Um, so take advantage, listen in and get into the holiday spirit with an amazing program. I think you'll enjoy it all the way from 10 a.m. Eastern time until candlelighting time for the Kedem Erev Shabbos music mix here on jmnam.org. Also the NSN app and the app gives you the opportunity to comment on, uh, on anything that's happening during our programming. Uh, it's obvious that whoever was most recently on the app and commenting on the app was listening to the archive. See, we get the comments. I, I don't think people out there, I don't think anybody, I don't think the regular app user would see it the way we see it because we see the app comments on the back end as they come in. So someone just spend time um, commenting on the Yom Yushalayim special as they were listening to the Kolo, to the voices of 1967 that uh, Mayor Weingarten was presenting. It's just incredible. And there's still a lot of uh, great reaction on the app in the comment section to the um, interview yesterday with Dr. Rick Hodes. I want to thank everybody who tuned in and thank everybody who uh, went ahead and uh, and commented and sent us emails about it. There are a lot of Jewish heroes out there, a lot of unsung heroes, some heroes who in, who eventually, after their incredible hard work, over so many years and decades, do get the recognition. I was so glad we were able to have him in here yesterday. And whatever you could do to support his work, believe me, it's an amazing Kiddush Hashem that he makes every day. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candlelighting at 7.53. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Golly, it's all in the background. Do our news from Israel coming up. Monday, we read Megillas Rus, the Book of Ruth, and we also have Yisker on Monday, as we said. Keep that in mind for the second day of the holiday of Shavuos. News from Israel next, then we'll head into the 7 o'clock hour. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us. Talk about the uh, events of the week. And, of course, Rabbi Yudin is coming up with words about Parshas about Midbar and the holiday of Shavuos in the 8 o'clock hour this morning at JM in the AM. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next at JM in the AM. Galei Tzal, Ashash Time, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Imashakore Achshav. נשיא המדינה לשעבר שמעון פרס טוען כי רוב מכריע של הישראלים עדיין תומכים בפתרון שתי המדינות. Israel, 
for the two-state solution. את הדברים אמר פרס בכינוס כלכלי בינלאומי בירדן, שבו משתתפים גם מלך ירדן, עבדאללה, יושב ראש הרשות הפלסטינית אבו מאזן, ונשיא מצרים א-סיסי. חשש בעולם מפני הרס אוצרות התרבות העתיקים בעיר תדמור בסוריה בעקבות נפילתה שלשום בידי דאעש. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. נשיא צרפת פרנסואה הולנד קרא לקהילה הבינלאומית לפעול ואמר כי דאעש מהווה איום על אוצרות המורשת האנושית. חמושי הארגון נוהגים להתנכל לשרידי העולם הקדום שמייצגים עבורם את עידן האלילים שלפני הופעת האסלאם. בחודשים האחרונים הם הרסו את האתר האשורי תל נמרוד וגם ניפצו פסלים במוזיאון העתיק במוסול. איתן חנני, חשוד ברצח בת זוגו, מירה פלד, שוחרר הבוקר למעצר בית בתנאים מגבילים. כתבנו איתמר קציר מזכיר שחנני חשוד שהרעיל את זוגתו וסיפר לבני משפחתה שמתה מסרטן. שני פועלי בניין נפלו מפיגום בגובה 15 מטרים באתר בנייה באשדוד. שניהם נפצעו קשה, אחד פונה לבית החולים סורוקה בבאר שבע, השני פונה לבית החולים קפלן ברחובות. רוכב אופנוע שבר את רגלו הבוקר לאחר שהתהפך במסלול רכיבה הנקרא דרך הסוכר בנחל אוג שבמדבר יהודה. בשל מיקום התאונה הרוכב חולץ רגלית בסיוע אלונקה ולאחר מכן באמצעות אמבולנס. מעיריית אשקלון נמסר כי חוף בר כוכבא בעיר סגור לרחצה בשל זיהום. שאר החופים פועלים כסדרם. מאולפן גלגלצ נמסר שבכביש מספר 85 יש עומס תנועה מצומת כרמיאל עד צומת ראמה, כביש מספר 70 עמוס מצומת התשבי עד צומת יוקנעם, כביש מספר 6 לצפון עמוס ממחלף עירון עד מחלף עין תות. התחזית לסוף השבוע, היום מעט קריר לעונה ובשבת עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות. ולסיום, בחג השבועות הקרב ובא ערכו הקיבוצים כחצי מיליון ישראלים באירועי הבאת הביקורים. כתבנו רמי שני. החיים בתנועה הקיבוצית מתנהלים בין חגי השבועות, והחג הוא גם מועד לסיכומים שונים. 274 קיבוצי ישראל יערכו כחצי מיליון מבקרים בטקסי הבאת ביקורים, בהם תוצג תפוקה חקלאית בהיקף של כ-14 מיליארד שקלים, 45% מכלל הייצור החקלאי בישראל, וגם 3,200 תינוקות שנולדו מאז החג בשנה שעברה, 45 מהם בקיבוץ נען. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל יחזקאלי, בצוות רינת גיימן ונועם נויפלד.
Friday morning, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM, and Erev Yom Tov, essentially. I know it's not really Erev Yom Tov, but you know what I mean. Tomorrow night starts the holiday of Shavuos. Weekly update coming up here at JM in the AM. We'll do that uh, with Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Uh, we'll do that coming up. Uh, you heard Shlomo Simcha. From his uh, Simchas Yom Tov CD, that's uh, Visomachta Odcha before that one. Ben Sion Schenker at Kakeli of Harachamim, done by Eli Gerstner in the Chevra. We say Yisker the second day of Yantav on Monday, keep that in mind. And uh, there'll be no um, JM&AM programming on Monday, but Tuesday we will return. I hope that you'll have an opportunity to... Uh, to tune in and join us at the beginning of next week. Starting on Tuesday morning. 
57 degrees, mostly sunny, a high temperature of 75. Candle lighting at 753 on this era of Shabbos. We're in day 48 in the counting of the Omer. That's six weeks and six days. We are at day number 48. I want to remind everybody that on Wednesday, next week, Wednesday night, starting at 8 p.m., at Congregation Renat Yisrael on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey, join the launch of Teach NJ Students. Teach NJ Students is a partnership of the New Jersey Jewish Community and the Orthodox Union Advocacy Center. There are a whole list of participating schools already, and this whole effort will kick off in Bergen County this coming Wednesday night, 8 p.m. at 389 West Englewood Avenue at Congregation Renat Yisrael. Uh, you can go to advocacy.ou.org, advocacy.ou.org. Um, and we'll speak more about this as we get closer and closer. A very important effort. As we said when uh, Josh Przanski was here, we have seen success in New York, in New York State, because of the efforts of Teach NYS. Well, now Teach NJS has been formed in uh, New Jersey. And uh, hopefully you'll see... Similar, if not better, results over here. There's so much work to be done, and they'll outline everything for all the uh, for everybody to um, to hear on Wednesday night in uh, Teaneck, New Jersey. So Rabbi Merkin contacted me uh, occasionally, as you uh, recall. There are certain uh, Yamim Tovim, whether it be Rosh Hashanah or Simchas Torah or Shavuos, where they're looking for people to help a um, a community. Now the problem with this one. <laughs> is that it's a six-and-a-half-hour drive from the New York area. So if there is a group of guys out there that want an adventure today and want to spend a three-day untif being machazek, strengthening a small kahila, which is about six, seven hours from here, I suggest uh, it could be three guys, four guys, even two guys. If you want to just help with the minion, uh, maybe with some of the laning and davening, just making things nice for the next three days for a community. They are providing travel and food expenses. They are providing a small stipend. The um, the problem is, like I say, that Shabbos starts at 7.53, and this place is about six, seven hours away. So if you want an adventure, if you're a couple of guys out there who want an adventure for Shavuos to help out a small kehillah, get in touch now with Rabbi Merkin, and he'll put it together for you at the last minute, right this moment, literally. Uh, he's at 9, and you can get on the road by 9 o'clock, and you can uh, start heading out. He's at night. If this miracle works, he's at nine seven three nine one six two five nine six. That's nine seven three nine one six two five nine six. And uh, good luck. I hope every kahila, every congregation that needs a little boost this yuntif, in fact, gets it. Rabbi Yudin coming up in the eight o'clock hour. Malcolm Homeline with the weekly update minutes away. Plenty more happening on a Friday erev Shabbos. This is JM in the AM.
to celebrate the day that Hashem gave us the Torah on Har Sinai and all of the sweet mitzvot that we do every day of the year. On Shavuos, we stay up and learn, eat milchik foods, read the story of Rus, and celebrate the gift of the Torah. Ki <laughs> Sahara, Udvar Hashem, Mirushalah. 
JM and the AM, Yaeli Greenfeld, uh, Akdamos. Yeah, we say Akdamos on Sunday, don't we? We certainly do. Ben Sion Schenker before that with Odcha. So we continue with uh, items from the Hallel service. Oh, you heard Uncle Maishi in there. How did that not make it into the playlist? I'd like to know. Uncle Maishi was in there with the Shavuos medley off of the Jewish holiday favorites here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Holmline is coming up. We'll do our weekly update and plenty more. Keep it here until 9 o'clock, and then, of course, on our stream all day long at jmtheam.org, starting at 10 o'clock, an amazing and incredible Erev Shabbos music mix, as you would uh, expect. And uh, today, of course, even more special, because even though it's not really Erev Yom Tif, but we consider it an Erev Shabbos and an Erev Yom Tov together right here at JM in the AM. Morning broadcast, day 48 in the counting of the Omer. Shavuos begins tomorrow night. We're off until Tuesday morning, but don't forget you can tune in all day long today for our incredible Arab Shabbos music stream at jmnam.org, and I certainly hope you will. We'll read Megillas Rus on uh, Monday, on the second day of Yom Tov, and Yisker, of course, is said Monday as well. Candlelighting 753 on this Arab Shabbos here at JM in the AM. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldview.com. We have a three-day untif coming up, so you may want to print that a 1,000 or maybe 2,000 articles <laughs> that Jewish World Review is uh, featuring. Uh, there's certainly enough there, I can tell you that much. Uh, our friends at JewishWorldReview.com continue to enthusiastically um, uh, recommend our live stream to their amazing readers, and we thank them, wish them a very happy Shavuos. Also, speaking of which, I want to give a special thank you to OnlySimchas.com. OnlySimchas.com that has, as you could see, when you go to their site, if you go to OnlySimchas, you'll see they have really expanded. They, they are not in just in the Simcha industry anymore. They are 
reporting on some incredible news items and uh, a lot of stuff that you'll see in other places, but a lot of stuff you will not see in other places. If you go to OnlySimchas.com, you'll see what I mean. And yesterday and the day before, they uh, they considered, and I thanked them, as top news stories, the two medical discussions that we had here at JM and the AM. In fact, I was just speaking to Malcolm about this off the air. Uh, on Wednesday, we spoke with um, uh, Dr. Jonathan Halevi, as he was one of the leaders of the rescue mission in Nepal from Shari Tzedek Hospital in Israel. And yesterday, of course, Dr. Rick Hodes, the hero that we introduced to you from Ethiopia. And um, at Only Simchas made a very big deal about both, and I thank them very, very much. Go to OnlySimchas.com. You'll see what I mean, that they are even bigger and better than they were uh, during their glory years. Now they're heading to this, the next stage of glorious years. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update here on an era of Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you as always. So I mentioned Dr. Rick Hodes off the air to you. Tell our listeners the story you started to tell me. Uh, yes, I was in the White House and uh, uh, several years ago, and the uh, Vice President, Al Gore, uh, was at the meeting, and we finished about a very serious issue, which I recall, and he said to me, you, you have to stay behind. I said, why? He said, because Tipper, his then-wife, uh, has been waiting for you to come and just give me a minute and she will come over. And we sat there for 15 minutes or so and finally Mrs. Gore showed up and she brought a picture and it showed Rick Hodes <laughs> with his yarmulke in a sea of black people treating, and he had his hands uh, treating uh, one young person. Uh, it, it was in Rwanda after the massacres and the there was literally one person there treating uh, these victims and she said when she saw it and saw his yarmulke reminded her i mean she thought that this is something that she would that uh, i would especially appreciate <laughs> and it, it and the picture hangs in my office and so many people but to to see what he did and he, I mean, he's truly a hero. Oh, unbelievable. And, uh, oh, he, he proudly says he's responsible for 1% of the citizens of Israel because if you calculate the number of uh, Ethiopian Jews he assisted, either directly or indirectly, to get from Ethiopia to Israel, that's, that, that's, that's just one of his accomplishments. Um, but I must say that the, uh, uh, that the, um, you know, I grew up in a household that was at the same time very praiseworthy and often critical of Jewish organizational life. I'm sure you know what I mean by that, and uh, sometimes in yeah, and sometimes in intense conversations about the same. And yesterday gave me an opportunity, and really reading the book about him gave me an opportunity to see how the Joint Distribution Committee, who again, you know, often praised and sometimes criticized, like any Jewish organization, um, has made such an amazing effort to help Jews and non-Jews in Africa, and the importance, as he pointed out yesterday, of doing both. And having this ambassador, like himself, to do the work, and I just thought it was a good opportunity to remind everybody that with all the cynicism out there, there's a lot of great work being done with the funds that people donate to different Jewish causes. I had the privilege to speak last Sunday for the JDC, the Joint Distribution Committee's uh, meeting, and the, the truth is that they do remarkable work. We partner with them all over the world. We do the political stuff. They're the ones on the ground working behind the scenes, often quietly, doing such remarkable things, providing food. They're not some people, some organizations, some efforts 
spend all their money on publicizing very little activities. They do very little publicity, but have great activities, and the community can be proud of what is done, and, and often by people going around the world um, and accomplishing so much. You remember Charles Jordan, who was right. the head of the JDC, was murdered right. in Czechoslovakia, I think, for working behind the Iron Curtain to save Jews. Unbelievable. Uh, every, I, I, we want to get to the news. I, I just don't want to forget uh, that on the 31st of May is the parade, everybody. We spoke extensively about it next week, uh, last week. I'm not going to bother Malcolm again about it today, but I just want to remind everybody how important with the three-day of coming up, a good opportunity to remind family and friends how important it is a week from Sunday to be on Fifth Avenue for the Celebrate Israel Parade. Another coincidence, well, I don't know about another, but a coincidence of the calendar, uh, Malcolm, and what a wonderful gesture from the Jewish organizations that promoted this. Uh, Monday is Memorial Day. Monday is also Yisker, and they're using the opportunity to recognize those Jewish um, uh, uh, members of the armed forces who have fallen in defense of freedom for the United States of America over all these centuries. And remembering Jews and non-Jews who, who made our lives possible. Yeah. Remember those who died in defense of Israel. There's Yom Hazikaron, but uh, this is another opportunity. And, you know, it's, it's one of the myths that has been created that Jews don't fight. And, in fact, Jews fought in World War II disproportionately, way disproportionately, to their numbers, and 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 many hundreds of thousands of Jews fought in, in the Russian side, on the American side, fought in the European armies, and the numbers are quite astounding. That uh, you know, and in subsequent wars as well, and and the death of uh, the young man from Long Island, right. Rockway Park, on on the train accident. But I, I met with. Uh, Admiral Mullen was was here just those days. He was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs, and he started talking about. He said, "As soon as I saw it, I knew it was a young Jewish boy." He said, "We may not have that many, but they're such wonderful cadets. They're such wonderful people." Unbelievable. And I'll tell you that you, it just struck me what you said because if you go into any older Jewish community. You know, the ones where, you know, the, the, where there have been Jewish communities and Jewish presences for the last 100 to 120 years in that area. You'll find memorials, and in some cases you'll find living people who were there in World War II. And now that I think about it, of course you're right. We have such a small population, sometimes we forget that, that obviously if you just have a few from each community, you're talking about a disproportionate number that fought during the Great War. They fought during the Great War and, and subsequently. Yeah, of course. Elsewhere too. Uh, very important because that's such a uh, such an an item that's always brought up by those who uh, can't stand the Jewish people or Israel. Um, the the death uh, of uh, Rabbi Levinger, Gush uh, Emunim Chevron, Jewish hero, uh, obviously somebody who made waves and you know and uh, and had and had interesting methods to uh, get the publicity necessary to make change, but. You look back at his life, Malcolm, and no matter what political position you have, even the New York Times had some praise for him, I saw, in the obituary. You have to admit somebody who uh, was a pioneer when it came to uh, Jewish tradition and Jewish history. And and a happenstance uh, pioneer was somebody I don't think set out to be a hero or to to take the kind of courageous stands uh, that he did, but I think he was visiting in Hebron and then made the decision that Jews had to be there, that this was the gateway to Yerushalayim, and that the the historical connection as the first capital of the Jewish people. Uh, his activities were meant, Lishma, totally Lishma, to, to save the city 
and those who agree or disagree with him, I can't, don't think anybody can say he didn't make a difference. Uh, no question about it. Uh, before we get to some of the bigger, not bigger, more important, but meaning more global issues, another terror ramming in Yerushalayim this week. And I, you know, I, I, I know it must be frustrating to you whenever I turn to you with frustration about, you know, what Israel and its police forces, uh, and anti-terror forces can possibly do about this. Anything additional to add now that another incident has occurred this week? Well, there may have been more than one actually in the, over the last week, but the, uh, you know, the, it, it's something you can hardly act against that you can't predict it. There's no way to build a barrier to it because you didn't need barriers at every corner. You'd need barriers at every street light. So there has to be the, the intelligence and the effort. And I think holding those who do such acts to account in such a way that it would be a deterrent, meaning that they get such heavy prison terms and that they pay the price the families uh, have some consequence that's, that's the only way to stop. This can be limitless and... Uh, you know, people try to dismiss some of these acts. It could be a traffic accident, et cetera, when, in fact, this is very deliberate. And this tactic, they think, uh, gives them some sense, some diminution of the seriousness as opposed to an all-out terrorist attack. This is all-out terrorism. That's so true. It's not because it's not a grenade. It's not a bus bombing. It's a, it's, 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 it's a more subtle type, I guess one would call it, although I don't think a victim would think so, but it's a more subtle type of terror attack, certainly in the way it's reported. And that might be a better tactic, actually. Not to give the enemy too many ideas, frankly. Um, in a far-reaching, as it's described, interview published Thursday um, by Jeffrey Goldberg in The Atlantic, President Obama says, I care so deeply about the state of Israel, precisely because I care so much about the Jewish people, I feel obliged to speak honestly and truthfully about what I think will be most likely to lead to a long-term security and will best position us to continue to combat anti-Semitism. I make no apologies for that, precisely because I'm secure and confident about how deeply I care about Israel and the Jewish people. The way this is being painted is is that he's criticizing Israel because he cares about Israel so much. I don't need you to play psychologist, although I'd love for you to do so in reaction to this. What do you think is going through the president's mind as he says this? Well, I haven't read the full article. I read parts of it, and, uh, but because I, I put it aside to, to read uh, today, uh, it, it requires a lot of careful scrutiny because he draws a lot of connections, which frankly don't on the surface necessary uh, figure um, and his his analysis of anti-semitism I think does not necessarily uh, pass the test of history <laughs> uh, but you can see that he and 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 we saw it when we met with him a few weeks ago that he's deeply offended and and takes very personally the comments made about him the, in, in, the hints at anti-semitism or being anti-israel uh, and clearly he has decided that he's throwing down the gauntlet to, to the prime minister, to others, to, to attack some of the some precepts that I think have been accepted for a long time, that uh, he, he is uh, also signaling what I think we can expect for the next 600 days of his administration. 
He says, and I quote, look, 20 years from now, I'm still going to be around, God willing. If Iran has a nuclear weapon, it's my name on it. I think it's fair to say that in addition to our profound national security interests, I have a personal interest in locking this down. For somebody who has a personal interest in locking this down, you'd think he'd be behaving and negotiating a bit differently. Well, I think if we look just at the developments on two fronts of the last uh, few days, we see that the Iranians are moving ahead in Iraq. They're moving ahead in Yemen. We, you know, they've challenged the Western, uh, the American blockade and the, that of the Saudis and the others uh, of, of their ships coming in because they were resupplying weapons, and now they have the ship that went to Djibouti, and we'll have to see what was on board it. I think... They probably would run that ship clean in order to bring in other ships that are not clean. But we know that they continue to resupply them, to resupply Hezbollah and Hamas, and to continue their terrorist activities. But if you look in that article also, you'll see a figure there that I think is quite astounding, and that is he talks about the release of $150 billion. We originally talked about $30 billion, then $50 billion, then, then somebody hinted $100 billion, but nobody has ever said $150 billion in potential relief that uh, Iran would get on signing a deal, none of which would be subject to the limitations on the sanctions. And uh, that amount of money will so dramatically change things because it's not money that will go to the benefit, as he indicates, that Rouhani and others would use it for the people. None of that will go to the people. The money will go to fostering the, the goals of Khamenei. And if you saw Khamenei's statements this week, not only does he again attack America and say that America is the enemy of, uh, of, the, of the United of Sunnis and Shiites and uh, proceeds to, to denigrate uh, America in, in every possible way, the, uh, the statements that were made, if you look at Zarif's testimony to the Majlis, to the Parliament, and they rejected what he said to the Security and Foreign Policy Committee refused his uh, presentation, and he didn't want to. He wouldn't release a fact sheet to them about what's going on. And just as the Congress hasn't seen a real fact sheet of of what the deal is, and everybody seems to be hiding behind things, <laughs> and their interpretation still remains at odds with what uh, was said here. And uh, they say that it'll take a year to get the. the banking sector going and that the, the business things will take a long time to ramp up, but that money will be there, and once it's released, you know, it's fungible. It can go in any direction. There's no way that you, you can uh, prevent uh, the, uh, or determine where that money is going to go. So we continue to see, on the one hand, these vicious comments, and then they announce that they're not going to accept the idea of inspection except with 24 days' notice. Now, Anybody who looks at that and says 24 days' notice is enough to move the, whatever base they have, let alone cover up whatever is going on there. And Foreign Minister Fabius of, uh, of France made it very clear, and he said, you know, essentially saying it's ridiculous. How can you have 24 days' notice? There'll be nothing there when, uh, you know, when, when the, they come, the inspectors come. And it was supposed to be anywhere, anytime. There was supposed to be snap inspections, meaning uh, without announcement, because that's the only way that that could be effective. Who proposed the 24 days? The Iranians. Right, but it was it Khamenei or... Um, yeah, actually, all of them said it. But, because but, he also uh, had made Zarif a... Zarif said it. Because I think Khamenei this week had made a statement that there would be... Uh, that, that he would be he against... He said no inspections right. of military sites. Right. No uh, unannounced inspections. We're not letting... He said if anybody goes on military bases, they'll get shot. Right. So that was his... Uh, 
uh, regulation or his uh, piece of negotiation than other Iranian officials said that they need 24 days notice in order for any inspection to take place. And I thought it was interesting to see uh, that not only does he say that the the um, attacked the United States uh, over and over again, and he ruled out interviews with the nuclear scientists, which is one of the essential parts to to uh, um, at making this effective. And and they refused the inspections uh, in Yemen. They, I mean, every single thing is a negative action, and yet we go on as if. All of this is insignificant. Nothing happened. Yeah. The uh, United States ignored, it turns out, the Israeli warnings for months, three months ago, that the aircraft sale that took place that uh, violated sanctions. Now, supposedly, we're going to sanction the airlines that participated in this deal, which resulted in 15 used commercial planes uh, coming to, to Iran. And they'll be refitted and outfitted. And uh, the, the Israelis had flagged this issue long before. But they went. They didn't do anything to stop the deal. It went ahead, and now we face another fed accompli. What What was interesting is to see former Defense Secretary Gates, uh, Robert Gates's statements about um, uh, talking about some of the the principles are unrealistic, and given their their meddling in the region, their revolutionary principles. He said, "I don't think the the alternative is war." One alternative is a better deal. You reinforce the sanctions. You basically say, here are the additional things we need for this agreement to work and be worthwhile. That reassures our allies, or at least doesn't scare them half to death. And if they choose not to come back to negotiations but race to a new weapon, my guess is that they will show that they intended to do that all along. Hmm. Get him to be part of the negotiating team. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's He's not that welcome there. It's amazing what people say when they're out of office. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Reminder for our New Jersey listeners on Wednesday night, 8 p.m., Teach NJS, the partnership of the New Jersey Jewish Community and the Orthodox Union Advocacy Center. They have their kickoff event. Uh, in Bergen County at Congregation Renat Yisrael, it's 8 o'clock this coming Wednesday night, 389 West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. We're highly recommending that all New Jerseyans be there for that very important meeting. Um, the uh, How unfair is this on the subject of the uh, President of the United States and his, and his uh, assessment of why he speaks the way he does about Israel? Uh, now, because the new Netanyahu government has officially been sworn in, uh, the President of the United States says a big overreaching deal with the Palestinians is probably impossible in the near term. He says a peace accord, a prospect of a peace accord, quote, seems distant now, noting that a number of members of the new Israeli government did not want a Palestinian state. I mean, how harmful is this to any real potential negotiation that he puts all the blame on Israel when, when the other side certainly deserves at least a percentage of the blame of not getting to the table? Not only a percentage, people forget that a year ago, the White House uh, reached out to both the Israelis and the Palestinians, gave them um, a, a document, which turns out not to have been the same document to each side, <coughs> and especially on the issue of Yerushalayim, there were differences. Uh, but the Israelis responded, and the Palestinians, till today, have not responded. Yet you do not see the kind of harsh reaction or statements or you know, um, uh, uh, isolation of, of uh, Abbas because consistently has walked away from every deal. 
Uh, I do think that the personal aspects of, of the relationship between the president and Netanyahu are playing out. This is very unfortunate. The relationship can't, I mean, chemistry is always important between the individual leaders, but the, I don't think that's something that's going to be rectified. But the, the fact that it translates and, and morphs into the policy decisions and to put the onus so, so much and to keep playing on the fact of what Netanyahu said uh, during the heated campaign, even though he's gone to such great lengths, including again this week, uh, meeting with the Arab members, meeting with, uh, reiterating his commitment to a two-state solution, and yet the president seems uh, to be unwilling to, to let that go and, and keeps harping on his aspiration. He does say, and he has said it to, to us, that he, he knows there won't be a Palestinian state in his during his term, that it's not enough time, but I think he wants to create all the predicates for it. Yeah. All right, everybody's anxious to hear what you could tell us about Palmyra and the United States policy now with ISIS, which is being criticized up and down. Let's start first with what's going on in Syria. Why is this so significant, this ISIS uh, invasion? And and what's the current state of affairs in Syria in terms of the Syrian government, how they're dealing with ISIS? Well, despite all the assertions about the how victorious the uh, Syrian forces were or the rebel forces, the fact is that ISIS today controls just about half of Syria. They just took control of the last border crossing uh, in Homs province between Syria and Iraq. Uh, they uh, have had a number of military victories, including in Palmyra. And people think Palmyra is important because of the ruins there. UNESCO site, it's stark ruins, uh, thousands of years old, and, uh, very uh, beautiful and, and significant, and many uh, ancient sites and resources there that are being destroyed and have been destroyed all along by ISIS there, Iraq, and everywhere else, because they believe that this is uh, uh, idol worship, uh, I guess is the way to put it. Right. Uh, but Palmyra is a city of 200,000 people. More than 70,000 have fled, meaning 70,000 more refugees. Many people were killed in the fighting. But they took over another major city. So Assad does not have control of the other 50%. He has control of less than 20% today of Syria when you take the areas that the rebels and other groups control. Assad is down to 20% of Syria. Right. But wow. it always was that if he could keep control of Damascus and of significant part of Aleppo, that he could stay in power. They are uh, moving all the time. And then the same thing is true in Iraq. They're moving on Baghdad. And this, with the American bombing, with the presence of uh, the Iranians, I think the Iranians will do everything possible to keep them out of there. But the uh, uh, there are some times that people believe Iran is using the ISIS victories to gain a foothold. In other words, they let ISIS go in. That gives them an excuse to send in their troops and their front groups, their militias, the Afghani fighters that they brought in, other fighters from all over to to uh, serve their purpose to get a, an additional foothold in more and more of Iraq because they want to take it over. And the, uh, you know, the two countries are today, both Syria and Iraq, after all the, uh, you know, boasting about uh, victories or they say, you know, we've had slight setbacks. We haven't had slight setbacks. We've had major setbacks mm. in um in both situations, and the uh, you know the the ramifications can be many for us about what the changes in the region will be. But if you also see that the that the U.S. is stepping up the warnings about terrorism here, both referring to the 
22,000 foreign fighters who are there. They claim that 180 Americans have gone. I think the number is probably higher. And uh, But they say that, that hundreds, maybe thousands of Americans uh, are, are seeing recruitment pitches from Islamic State on social media. And they, they come on saying, kill, kill, kill. And this is from the head of the FBI, not me, who's been warning about this for a long time, and people you know, say, oh, it's depressing to hear all these things. No, this is the reality we got to face. And the, the, you know, people can feel good that if Assad is toppled, but you got to think about what's going to be the day after, what's going to replace it. And the chutzpah of Iran, the, the way they challenge us, whether it is in Yemen or whether it is in Iraq or in Syria, and the fact that the other Arab countries look at it and say that we essentially, the United States, is turning it over to Iran, mm-hmm. that we brought them in, that we're, we're giving them the opportunity to, to gain more and more control, and we will regret it. So this, Something will come back to home. So does Syria go into the ISIS column, you know, if we, like on election night where they award a state, you know, to the Democrats or Republicans eventually? Like, how many countries at this point, you know, would you paint with the ISIS color? I guess it would be black, with the ISIS black flag. How many at this point do they essentially control? Well, they don't control whole countries yet, but they certainly are uh, uh, in the, on the verge in Syria of gaining the upper hand. The, um, they are certainly very successful in Iraq and have increased their thing. And they may not be looking to take over the countries as a whole, though ultimately they would like to. But even if they can, as they do today, control huge swaths of both countries that will remain theirs and under their control, and when you, when if Syria is divided between Sunni Shiite, it'll also be divided with Kurds, and and the ISIS group will have uh, its role. But ISIS is now, for instance, now operating in Libya, and they have successfully established themselves, and they want to use it as a jumping-off point into Africa, not just against Egypt and not just the, in the Sinai and Gaza, but but primarily against Africa. They're also uh, operating in. Um, in in Libya and in in uh, there's a new group that was created by Iran in Gaza because they dropped their support of Palestinian Islamic Jihad because they didn't support them and something I forgot which issue uh, but we also see that ISIS continuously tries to gain a, a foothold there so it's not that they control countries but they're increasingly controlling and and maybe determining the fate. Yeah. It's funny, I, I literally just Googled, you know, with that question, where is ISIS, quote-unquote, and one of those maps that I just envisioned or imagined popped up. Tremendous presence in Iraq, as you've described to us, especially in the northern portion, and it seems in Syria as well, the northern portion of that country. Uh, not close to the Israeli border, though, at this point. You agree? Well, that's only, they don't have a heavy presence, but they do have a strong presence there. They have tried to make encroachments on that, because that is going to be the advanced border of Iran. It continuously uh, says so. And uh, the, uh, and ISIS has tried a challenge. It's actually al-Nusra that is in control of much of the border, the Golan border, uh, but uh, and the uh, IRGC, Iran Revolutionary Guard, together with Hezbollah and Syrian troops, tried to challenge them, had some initial victories, were set back. But that is something that we will, will, will come more in the future. All right, so now the big question, and obviously it's been a big news story over the last couple of days, U.S. policy against ISIS. <coughs> Excuse me, how would you analyze the way the White House is not only reacting but 
a- acting in terms of trying to stop ISIS at this point? Well, there has to be a, a decision if we go all out and, and, and not look to the Iranians as allies, because that's just, you know, changing one devil for another. Uh, that there has to be a decision about how we deal with it. We've let them go too long and get away with too much. They continue to recruit. We have to stop all recruitment, meaning that Turkey has to do more to ban their their access. Uh, in fact, they are allowing weapons into to, to Syria and for their own purposes of establishing presence. And uh, we have to stop the choke them off from from support. They. And, and part of the reason, Nahum, uh, that they need new territory is not because they necessarily want the territory, but that's how they survive. Because when they go into an area like Palmyra, they first take the banks and all the money. They go house by house, uh, you know, taking all the loot, and right. all the silver and stuff. That's how they survive. And then they need and, more. Uh, and oil, from the sale of oil. So for them, the acquisition of territory is is as important for it's up to, to sustain its other efforts and its efforts in whatever place they are, because that's how they finance it. Um, all right, sorry. Are you willing to uh, evaluate the president at this point in terms of uh, of the reaction? In terms of, I mean, I, 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 we have to. We will see what what goes on. It's not just the United States. It's the it's the West. We have to see what you know. The Arab countries are increasingly taking control of, of themselves. You see what Saudi Arabia did in. In Yemen, not with the United States, not informing until later, and then the United States joined uh, that effort rightly to to fight them uh, in uh, in Yemen, uh, which is Iran essentially. The um, it, it's not an easy battle. No one says that these uh, conflicts, because you, you never know who's the. There's no right side in some of these conflicts, and it depends. There's no local resistance. It's not like you have an army you can back. You don't want to back Assad's army and, and the, the regional powers and the, the forces that are at play. You have multiple uh, uh, players, let's say, in Syria. You have about 104 different rebel groups. Sometimes they work together. Sometimes they are at odds with one another. Um, See, I know, I know people... And the claims, that's the ones going to say, that the claims of victories in that areas that we supposedly win... Turns out that we've lost them. Yeah. I mean, to a degree, I know people aren't going to like that I say something in defense of the president, but it, it's an almost impossible situation to be in because no matter what you decide, even if you go in the direction that you know, e- either direction. If you go back to when they turned the guns around and the message that that sent, that had we stood our ground when the chemical weapons issue first came up and mm-hmm. we were ready to act, and and the president called off the troops, called off the French uh, planes were on the runways already ready to go. That we we showed that we we sent a message at least that we have no red lines that we back off the West back off. It's not just the United States. You know, there's there's again no heroes here. You don't see France. You don't see Britain. You don't see anybody else. Well, there was one country that was proactive at that time. Although I don't know if they'd admit it, but Israel certainly, at least according to the sources, you know, took a couple of actions that were necessary. They have taken several times actions that were not only necessary but essential. Allegedly, the shipment of. Uh, of weapons, uh, according to what was reported on Nachum Siegel's program. <laughs> exactly. What do you think of this thing now that, uh, that there was an actual effort this week because of the uh, nuclear summit to press Israel to get rid of its nuclear weapons? It, it, it's somewhat... It's an annual... It, it happens, and, and unfortunately the Egyptians tend to take the lead on it and did again this year. Uh, there is great concern that there, there could be a resolution. <clears throat> you know, they talk about a nuclear weapons-free Middle East, but it's it's targeting Israel. 
<clears throat> and I hope, I hope that this will, and that the United States will assure that this does not happen. But the timing is laughable. You know, it's one thing if they do it every year or how, how regularly they do it, but now, with the situation the way it is, who, who would ever recommend to any democratic, peace-loving country to get rid of their nuclear weapons? Well, this is the first year that Israel, in a long time, that Israel actually participated in an effort to offset it and uh, was present at the discussions. Was that a mistake on their part, to participate? I don't think it would have changed the outcome. So it doesn't matter. You know, the, the former president of Israel, on this, we were speaking earlier about the um, uh, attitude of the president of the United States toward the new Israeli government, two states, not two states, etc. So today he made a statement, that there's a, this is Shimon Peres, that there's a clear majority for a two-state solution among the citizens of Israel. Now that might ruffle some feathers, especially in this audience, but based on what you just said earlier, it's actually not a bad message to keep reiterating to the world. That as far as Israel and the Israelis are concerned, they're ready for this. It's just the other side that's not prepared. We should shift the onus to the other side and tell the truth. Israel has always been prepared to negotiate. You remember what Barack offered? You remember yeah. what Omer's offered? You know, all, all the Gaza's engagement, all the things that happened and that have always been one-sided. And then the pressure continues to be only on one side. He is not held to account for anything. His failure in Gaza, they have no presence. They... The corruption that that permeates the whole PA system. You know that the PA legislature this week passed a, a, a resolution saying that the Jews are not entitled to one inch of the land. So it's not about the territories in the West Bank and building and all of that. They say Israel has no right to exist and the Jews have no right to a state. It's not only recognizing Jewish state. I don't believe we have a right to have have a state. And. And yet this is always overlooked, and he's always dismissed because he's better than the alternative. We don't know what the alternative is, and we don't know if he's better in it. But what, what is unfair is that the onus, no matter what, is continuously placed on Israel. Look at all the revelations about how many people are being, uh, Palestinians from Gaza are being treated in Israeli hospitals that came out this week, the thousands uh, of, of people. The reports on the fighting about how Israel went to such great lengths not to hurt civilians. I mean, those things never get mentioned. The positive stories don't get told, and there are many, many positive stories. And yet, the onus is always put, and they, they jump, as we see now, the president jumping on Netanyahu's unfortunate comments, and, and he has self-described as unfortunate, and said that, uh, you know, he assured Arab leaders, he assured the Arab parties that he didn't mean anything. In fact, his government, the Netanyahu government, has given more money to Israeli Arabs, more support, advancing women, advancing doing training, education, other things, than any government of Israel did. And yet, he still gets beaten up and only reminded about the uh, uh, about the, uh, those two statements. All right. Um, Malcolm, we got uh, Rabbi Yudin coming up, a holiday of Shavuos, obviously, uh, some parade talk as well. So we're going to move on. Any final message before we wrap things up this week? What enabled us to have Shavuos was that we stood as one people with one heart. Today we need Achdut in the Jewish community. No matter what your views are, no matter what your opinions, and you can differ and you can criticize, but we got to remember that the only thing that we have is each other. The only one who can defeat the Jews is the Jews. The only one who can save the Jews is the Jews with the aid of a Baruch Hu, and God is looking at us 
and saying, are you united? Do you understand how much you need one another? Look, in London, they're going to have this massive demonstration July 4th that they're anticipating of neo-Nazis, real neo-Nazis in, uh, in uh, major Jewish neighborhoods, the rise of anti-Semitism, the global effort that, that we are encountering everywhere, including the United States. We really need to be together, and so much energy is wasted on fighting, internal fighting. It's got to stop. We have to stand together, recognize our differences, but recognize what we have in common, all rooted in our Torah. Phenomenal. Have a wonderful Shabbos and a great Yontif. There is Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. A week from today, it's a short week next week, obviously. Uh, but nonetheless, we will uh, have our weekly update a week from today, 7.40 Friday morning. Make sure to be tuned in if you're around the world. It's 7.40 Eastern Time every single Friday morning. Uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar, candle lighting at 7.53. It's day 48 in the counting of the Omer. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. And really, good Erev Yom Tov, everybody. What a very special Erev Shabbos this is. Tomorrow, Mitz Hashem. We have the privilege of beginning the fourth Sefer of the Torah. We begin the Book of Bamidbar and we read Parshas Bamidbar. Interesting, in Parshas Bamidbar there are no mitzvos of the 613. Interestingly, on the Yom Tov of Shavuos, unlike all the other holidays, which has its unique mitzvah for each individual. Each individual has to hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Each individual has to eat the matzah, sit in the sukkah. But here, there is only one communal mitzvah, and that's dependent on our having a Beis HaMikdash, the bringing of the special korban of the Shtei which, please God, will come back to. A very interesting idea. And that might be, first of all, that our focus is not on any one specific mitzvah, but our accepting of the mitzvos in their entirety. As we read the Aseris Hadibros, please God, this Sunday, and according to Rav Sajagaon, Rather than calling it Ten Commandments, it's really Ten Categories, because within these Ten Categories are really the 613 mitzvot that we are accepting. So we don't focus on any one. But interestingly, as we'll talk in a few moments, there are the minhagim, the customs of Shavuos, which take on a life unto themselves, and it shows that our acceptance is not only of mitzvos, but even of laws which are derabbanan, and even the minhagim, the customs as well, we embrace on Shavuos. Interesting that the Shulchan Aruch tells us, we always read Parshas Bamidbar before Matan Torah, before the Yom Tov of Shavuos. And I'd like to suggest as a possibility 
The idea behind this is that when we count, as indeed that is the theme of Parshas Bamidbar, counting of B'nai Yisrael, and the message is that every Jew counts, similarly in conjunction with Shavuos, that is the message. Every Jew counts and every Jew is important. And I'd like to share with you a very poignant medrash. It's the Yalkut Shimoni who says, take note that the first and the second of the Ten Commandments which were spoken to the entire nation of Israel are in the first person. It doesn't say, Onochi Hashem Elokeichem, I am your God, in the plural, speaking to the entire nation. Onochi Hashem Elokecha, in the singular, speaking to each and every one individually. Lo in the second commandment. And the Yalkut goes on to say that each individual understood the Dibros in accordance with their unique intellectual understanding. And he bases this on the Pasuk, Kol Hashem Bekoach. It doesn't say Bekocho, referring to the strength and the power and majesty of God, but rather kol Hashem bakoach means each one in accordance with his ability. And the Medjish goes on to say, don't be amazed that there was this personalized prophecy that each individual experienced, because if this was true regarding the man that had a different taste for each and every individual, then similarly, when it comes on the intellectual level, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was able to deliver a prophecy to each and every individual that they would understand each of the Dibros in accordance with their ability. And that's why when we focus for a moment and realize what is it that we are celebrating Emir Hashem this coming Sunday. So be aware that if you take out the Kriya Satorah for this Sunday, coming from Parshas Yisro, we begin with chapter 19. And if you take a look at Pasuk 9 in chapter 19, Hashem says to Moshe, tell the people, this is what is to happen at Sinai. I will come to you, says Hashem to Moshe, literally in the thickness of the cloud. That the people will hear my communicating with you. They will be completely sure that I communicated with you. And they will be spectators to this event. 
yaminu le'olam. And as a result of this, they will believe and trust in you that you are the Av and Adon Hanavi'im, the father, master of all the prophets. Fine. And then the Pasuk tells us that Moshe brings the response of the people to Hashem. Vayagid Moshe is Am El Hashem. And Rashi tells us a fantastic response that Moshe brings to Hashem on behalf of the people. Says Rashi, the people responded, Oh no, we don't want to come to the mountain and be spectators. They want to hear the revelation, not from me, but from you, directly Hashem. In a dome, you can't compare. The one who hears from an intermediary, or the one that hears straight from the king. It's our desire, it's our desire to literally see and have this direct communication with Hashem. This is what we are celebrating on Shavuos, a personalized relationship with Hashem vis-à-vis the Torah. And the late Rabbi Issa Zalman Meltzah, would say in the name of the Shalah that Shavuos is the Rosh Hashanah of Ruchnias. If a person is mispalel on Rosh Hashanah for greater clarity and growth in Torah, that helps a great deal. And Rav Yashiv said, look here, we know that at Matan Torah, those who were sick were healed. Those who were in need of Rafua Shlema got it. Therefore, when they make the Mishabeirach this coming Sunday morning in Shul on Shavuos for the Cholim, respond to it and listen with a great degree of Kavana intent because we literally want to cash in on this very special time, the time of Kabbalah's HaTorah. I'd like to share with you some of the Minhagim customs that we have. But before we get there, I want to remind you, number one, that this Shabbos is a Shabbos. And every Shabbos we're obligated to eat Shalosh Seudos. Usually, and especially this time of the year, we eat Shalashudos late in the afternoon, which is fine. We can't do so late in the afternoon this Shabbos, because there's the Halacha as found in the first daf in Arvi Psachim, that we are to go into, quote, Shabbos and Yom Tov with a healthy appetite. And therefore, whether you split your lunch to make the second half of your lunch or your dessert of your lunch, your, your Shalosh Seudos, but there are different ways. But if you are eating Shalosh Shudas in the afternoon, make sure that it is earlier rather than later so that, as I said, you have that healthy appetite for 
the Yom Tov meal. Talking about the Yom Tov meal, while many people are taking in Shabbos early, you cannot take in Shavuos early because of that one word, Tamimos. We finish counting the Omer Friday night, tonight, and we are not to recite Kiddush on Motsoi Shabbos, welcoming in the Yom Tov of Shavuos until it is definitively dark. There are others that wait for Mayriv until it is definitively dark in order to have Tamimos seven full weeks of counting between Pesach and Shavuos. The Minhag is to stay awake on Shavuos night. Some say that it is to atone for the fact that the Jewish nation overslept on the morning of Kabbalah Satorah. How could they sleep when they were so excited? But perhaps they thought that they would be getting their prophecy in their sleep. And Moshe has to wake them up because their level of prophecy was upgraded. And just like Moshe received his prophecy when they were awake, when he was awake, so too the Jewish people at Sinai. The Ramah tells us in the one simon of the Yom Tov of Shavuos, which is Simotav Tzadi Dalid, the Minhagav putting greens, and it's extended to flowers in the synagogue and homes, a reminder to us that Hashem bedecked the mountain with greens, reminding them and us, Vayosem Midbara Ke'eden. Torah has the capacity to transform a desert into a garden of Eden. And this has happened so many times where you have a community where there was not a Torah observant locust and then Baruch Hashem, Jewish observant, Torah learning, families moved in and the community was transformed. Vayosem Midbara, the Torah has the capacity to transform a desert into an Aden. There is the custom of eating dairy on the first day of Shavuos. And the standard reason that's brought down is that when Moshe came down, he said, my goodness, there's a whole new set of dietary laws and the kalim, the utensils that we were using heretofore, we cannot use. And there are laws of shechita, ritual slaughter, etc. The Ramah brings a fascinating um, concept in order to remember 
as I mentioned before, the one biblical mitzvah for Shavuos, which is a communal mitzvah, which is that they brought an offering of two loaves on Shavuos, two loaves made of wheat, two loaves that were chametz, in contrast to the mincha of the offering of barley that was brought the Omer on the second day of Pesach. So what some families do for lunch on the first day of Shavuos is have a plastic tablecloth, plastic cutlery, plastic plates, have two challahs, have the first part of the meal dairy, blintzes, sour cream, sing zamiros, dvar Torah, take it all away. Now you have a table set for meat. Wash your mouth, have a little l'chaim, you don't have to bench between the dairy and the meat, but you need to bring out two more loaves, because you can't use the same bread, the same challah that you've used for a dairy meal with the meat. Hence, the bringing out of two more loaves is a reminder to us of the Shteyalechem. Finally, on the second day of Shavuos, we read the book of Rus, there is Haskoras Neshamos, we have the recitation of Yiskor, and I take this opportunity to urge everyone to recognize Asher Banu Mikol Ho'amim. God chose us, and there's one thing and one thing only that makes us unique from all other peoples, and that is the Torah. And that is what we are celebrating on Shavuos. Ashrenu matov chalkeinu. How privileged and how special is our lot. I take this opportunity of wishing Nachum, his family, and all our listeners, a most meaningful Kabbalah's HaTorah. Shabbat Shalom and a good Yom Tov to all. J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with Shavuos on the way. My thanks to Rabbi Yudin and of course a wonderful Yom Tov to him and his entire family and to all the amazing rabbinic leaders out there who are going to be spending a lot of time, both tomorrow night and in some cases a lot more than that, over to Shavuos holiday with their constituents, studying Torah and spreading the amazing word of Torah in so many different types of forum and so many different types of shiurim and unique presentations. And uh, and as well to those rabbinic leaders, going to be spending time reminding people about how important it is to keep our eyes and all of our uh, all of us focused on the Holy Land uh, every single day of the year. A lot of people take that opportunity on a regular basis to remind their constituents, and it's much appreciated. Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar, candle lighting time at 7.53. I asked Michael Miller to join me today because we have three days now that we're going to be spending with family and friends. A wonderful opportunity to remind everybody about what goes on on the very last day of May in New York City. 
On May 31st, it's a Celebrate Israel parade. It, it, just, it comes out of nowhere because we have this big three-day untif in the middle of our plans. So I want everyone to know that starting next Tuesday morning, we're going to be reminding you on a constant basis that there's a very big day in New York City on Sunday the 31st of May. We want everyone to participate. The parade is going to be up Fifth Avenue. Michael Miller is with us live via telephone. He, of course, is the um, uh, executive vice president and CEO of the Jewish Community Relations Council. Michael Miller, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. It's wonderful to be with you again. I greatly appreciate that. We look forward to being on Fifth Avenue. You've given us an amazing presence again on Fifth Avenue. But in this case, I want to remind everybody that thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and hopefully hundreds of thousands of people that want to demonstrate support and love and celebration for Israel, they have a chance to do it, and that's on Fifth Avenue. Tell us about preparations for this year's parade. All right, there's so much which is going on. We're expecting over 200 groups. Uh, we know there will be more than 40,000 marchers. You're talking about people coming. Those are spectators, so we really need to have more spectators than we have marchers. We already have 40,000 marchers. We need the spectator population to be well over 100,000, hopefully in the hundreds of thousands that day. And there generally are that many people, 12 marching bands, 29 floats, billboard trucks, LED trucks, Wow. Grammy Award-winning violinist Miri Ben-Ari. There's just so much that's going to be in this parade. Oh, yeah, plenty of Jewish music, by the way. A lot of great acts are going to be up Fifth Avenue, which is nice. Yeah, we have uh, Golem, which is a klezmer rock band. Uh, I think it's pronounced Shy 360. Right. Really born a Canadian rapper. Soul Farm is the parade house band again. They're amazing. Um, and we're also going to have a delegation of uh, Knesset members who will be joining us. Uh, Yaakov Margi from Shas, Avram Nagosa from the Kud. Uh, Ksenia Svetlova from Machane Tsioni and Rivital Swade from Machane Tsioni. So, and and, and, uh, and as we keep our, as we as we are constantly reminded, it's very difficult for members of Knesset to travel now since they have a very the majority has a very small majority in Israel. That's why it's balanced out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two from uh, the, the the left and two from the right. Two in the government and two in the opposition. So. It's clear. But, you know, this is organized in advance. It's organized uh, through the Knesset. So everybody recognizes ah. the value of the parade, and, gotcha. and therefore they're coming as a unit. They're coming together. Uh, they're going to be marching together uh, for all of the, the differences of opinions that they have, and they express them quite vocally on the floor of the Knesset. When it comes to the parade, right. uh, everybody's got to be there together. Yeah, by the way, and that's why, again, an opportunity for me to make a statement that I'm sure you'll agree with, but I want to just make the statements that the policy is clear. There are, there's, unfortunately, for whatever reason, and, and in some cases it might be good reasons, there's opposition to the parade and the way it's handled and who's invited, who's not invited, who's included, and all that. We don't play that game. We encourage everybody, whoever they are, to just come and celebrate and support Israel. I can't think of a better approach to take with this day. Yes, there are a lot of nuances and certainly a lot of different uh, positions in the Jewish community about a lot of different issues. But as Malcolm just said minutes ago, especially with the holiday of Shavuos coming up, a holiday of unity, uh, it's important to emphasize the unified effort. So what we're going to do is just encourage everybody to be there, to enjoy it, and to celebrate Israel. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I heard the interview with Malcolm. I heard him last week uh, as well. I heard you, of course. Um, and this is the opportunity for us to show our unity to the community at large, uh, to um, the public, uh, right. to elected officials, to Washington, D.C., to capitals around the world, 
uh, people are looking to see who's going to be showing up at this parade. No question. Yes, of course we have our differences. When have we not had our? <laughs> have we not had our? Differences? It wouldn't be a Jewish event without differences. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more. So um, that, that's the that's the ticket. Now, please, everybody should. Set aside whatever grievances you have against this one or that one, um, and we need to be on that avenue uh, to show our support for Israel. Are you are, are you naming an official grand marshal for this year's parade? We will be, and I can't roll it out yet. We're going to be speaking again before the parade. And, and when uh, when will I'll that will that be that name then? Will that become public right after Yuntif? Like, what's the timetable on that? Uh, it'll be public when it becomes public. Ooh. Well, it's got to become public before the parade, <laughs> right? Timetable. When the Jews work on a timetable, <laughs> it's only got... when it comes to Yom Tov and Shabbos but it's, and Yom Tov. But it's got to be co- timetable. But it's got to be public before the parade, right? <laughs> it'll be public before the parade. <laughs> I, I promise you. I'm, I'm always anxious because, frankly, I, as I've demonstrated many times here, I, I think it's one of the most exciting positions to have, Grand Marshal. Yeah, so I'm always anxious to find out who it is. Been remote, yeah. Just took it to a new level. For He's sure. unbelievable. And there've been um, other great ones throughout the years so i'm just yeah. i'm, I'm so I, we're, work, we're working on something and it could be something very special um but unfortunately it's taken a while for this thing to roll out oh so it might be even bigger news than we'd normally expect mm, uh, maybe interesting okay great <laughs> I'm, I'm hedging i'm hedging the answer is maybe I, i'm glad to a hear de- that a definite maybe i'm glad to hear that all right very simple everybody we'll, we'll be reminding everybody obviously all next week you have a facebook presence you have a twitter presence all they got to do is is search celebrate israel and it'll come up constantly right that's all people yeah, need to absolutely, do absolutely absolutely um, oh and, and for the kids I, I really just really want to thank you nachum and and your entire team uh, for the support that you have given to the parade uh, before, during, and likely after as well. But um, it's really wonderful. It's great partnering with you. Well, I appreciate that, and we are looking forward to it. We think it's such an important day to celebrate. And, and a special message for the kids. You'll again be providing the, the stilt walkers and, yeah. the, and yeah. the jugglers and the clowns. There will be plenty of stuff for the little kids to enjoy up Fifth Avenue that day. And there will be also giveaways uh, from the floats. Uh, right. A number of the floats are going to be uh, flipping things out into the spectators. Uh, crowd, so uh, be ready for that, too. All right, Michael. Enjoy the cheesecake. Have a wonderful <laughs> Yantif, and we'll speak again next week. Thank you. Shabbat shalom. Chag Sameach to everybody. There he is, Michael Miller. Yeah, he's got a smile on his face. Why wouldn't he? He's about to lead the uh, the biggest uh, Israel party outside of Israel of the entire year. Celebrate Israel Parade is wonderful. It's wonderful. I know everyone's got problems with something, but it's wonderful. We get this opportunity in New York City on a Sunday in June. I mean, in this case, it's May 31st, but you get my point. You know how hard it is to secure a Sunday in June for an event in Manhattan? But Michael Miller and his committee have done a remarkable job. The parade, as far as I'm concerned, has been, which was always great, has been taken to a new level. And the clock of votes, every school and organization that feels an obligation to be there. I know it's not easy always. Teachers, students, everybody, but they all come out. And, um, and we're just getting ready. And, and like I said, I wanted to get them on today because with the three day unt of and everything, first of all, we have an opportunity to, to spread the word over these three days. Thank God. But also the parade sort of sneaks up on us because it's a three day unt of and the next thing you know, we're talking about, Hey, a parade in a couple of days from now. So, so there you have it. And we, people have asked about our official time slot 11 to 3 it looks like it looks like 11 to 3 will be on fifth avenue you could hear it all on the nsn app jmnam.org everything we have to the whole team has to say myself mark zomick miriam al wallach 
and probably a bunch of other people. <laughs> Ronnie and Larry Birnbaum, they're going to be part of our broadcasting team. I can tell you that much. They've been amazing uh, supporters of our parade show. So they, 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 great, they take great pride. It's as simple as that. There are people outside of Israel who take great pride in Israel. We should all get to Israel soon. But until we get there, we'll continue to celebrate here. JM in the AM at 11 minutes before 9 o'clock. It's Erev Shabbos and essentially Erev Shavuos at JM in the AM. Yeah. 
Chadasha Boys Choir with Torah Siva. Mordechai Ben David with his Torah Siva before that in honor of the holiday of Shavuos. Erev Shabbos Parshas by Midbar. Candle lighting at 7.53. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. We're back Tuesday morning here at JM in the AM after the holiday of Shavuos. Time to say good Shabbos and good Yom Tov. Journeys at JM in the AM.
Yisrael and Atim Achem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Wraps up a great week here at JMDM. If you missed any of our conversations, especially the ones with Dr. Halevi and with Dr. Rick Hodes that took place Wednesday and Thursday, make sure to check out the archive section at jmdm.org. Naomi Nachman next with Table for Two all day long. An amazing Kedem presentation of an Erev Shabbos, Erev Yom Tov music mix. Make sure to be tuned in all through the day until candlelighting time. And we are back here on Tuesday morning. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful Yom Tov, everybody. Until Tuesday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, Remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.